Well, for those who didn't know, Trevor Willoughby was here visiting with us. Where did he snuck out somewhere? Is he around? There you are. Thank you so much for playing. That's awesome. I know you didn't do it for us, but thank you for coming and thanks for playing. And uh, yeah, we're grateful for you for stepping in. And Winston and Emmy, Winston, welcome back. Glad you're here. Your accent's changed a little bit. It's a little more thick. I can't, I'm not going to try to copy that Zimbabwe accent, but we're so glad you, you're back. And then Vicki is sitting in the back. So where's Vicki Cockrum? Did I see her? Where's Vicki? Yes, Vicki, could you stand up real quick, please? She is one of our very own. Uh, you've been in Milan, Tennessee, right? That's down near Jackson. So she's been on furlough. We'll be heading back to Ethiopia. I know many of you have been giving medical supplies. So, Vicki, we're just so glad you're here to worship with us. So please hunt Vicki down afterwards. Say hi. Uh, she was born in, in Africa, in Nigeria, raised there, came back here as a teenager. Her dad was pastor here for a while. And then I still remember when the Lord called you back several years ago. And so you're an incredible example to us about going uh, where God calls. So we're praying for you and we love you. So I want to invite everybody to please stand and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. And as you open your Bibles, it will be up on the screen. I do want to thank you for praying for my son, Eric. He is here somewhere. There he is right there. He is able to climb up in his bed last night. And sleep, so he is getting healed up. But thanks for your prayers. And also thanks to no one stopped me as I left last week. So I just want to say thank you. So because many times in the past, uh, in one of my other churches I pastored, when I do announcements like that, people would stop and say, hey, I got one more. I got a word for you. Oh, can I pray for you? And it's like, no, I got to go. So anyway, so, uh, but thanks for just really praying it through and all is well. And he's definitely on the mend. So thanks. So Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. And as we saw in the video, we are in a sermon series called Finding Our Way, True North. Today it's Finding Our Way with Sexuality. And this is God's word for his people. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of, no of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature... That was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib and he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and true. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is a hammer. It is like fire. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. 
May my words be only your words and bring comfort and encouragement and strength and conviction, repentance and encouragement, transformation. May we consume your word for your glory's sake, Heavenly Father. And we pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I need, I'm going to be a little bit age discrimination here. I need three volunteers who are older than 17 to come forward, please. You're not going to do any push-ups or anything. So Sammy and Eric, sorry you guys can't come up. But if you're 17 or older, please come forward. I need three of you. All right, Adam, Stevie, good. Ladies, anybody? Andrew's jumping up. Okay, come on, Carolyn, come on down. All right, there are some pieces of paper here. Please take two pieces, make sure they're different colors, and glue them together, and really goop on the glue, and afterwards write your name, big print, please. And as they're doing that, oh, we got four. Only need three, Andrew. Sorry, we're good. So, oh, no, they need that. Anyway, but I'll invite you back up to come test it afterwards. Okay. All right, while they're doing that, I want to do a brief review of last week. We were talking about gender last week, and here's a couple bullet points from last week. God has created both male and female. We're created in his image, and each of us, each of us are marvelously and wonderfully made. Our gender needs to be and should be connected to our biological sex. And we are to celebrate the incredible diversity of God's creation as he's created each of us in his image. Think about that. Every human being, regardless of male or female, age or race, is created in God's incredible image. Sin has destroyed God's perfect design of how we were created and our identity. And as a result, today, because of sin, there's incredible confusion, distortion, evil, and even death because of a world that is suffering the consequences of a sin-filled sexuality. However, in Christ, we have a new identity. And because of the gospel of Jesus, God can and restore our identity and bring healing and transformations to our lives. When you are done, you may be seated. Just leave those there. Thank you guys so much. I'll invite Andrew back to help me at the end. Today is kind of part two, finding our way with sexuality. God's design for sexuality is to be expressed in the covenant of marriage between one male and one female. However, because we are born into sin, and because we live in a world that is unbelievably broken because of sin, our sexuality is also broken. My hope and desire today and my prayer is that we will hear God's voice as we dive into his word about what he says about sexuality. Last week I showed you this quadrilateral. Can you say it, quadrilateral? Great, you guys are awesome. You can speak a little bit of English. I'm only going to show one picture. But I talked about the fact, this comes from John Wesley And he taught and encouraged his churches that the foundation of everything we believe needs to be based off what? Scripture. It has to be. But many of us will flip it on its side and we'll put our reason down as the foundation. Or we'll flip it the other way. And the other way is very common today. Experience. 
It's what we experience as true. And then there's others and other worldviews that will put tradition on the bottom. And whatever our church tradition is or cultural tradition says, that's the basis of how we live out our lives. But as believers in Jesus Christ, it's got to be Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean we throw out our brains and we don't use science. All truth is God's truth. And as we learned last week, and praise the Lord, there's very little calculus found in the Bible. Just enough. But the truths that are found in calculus are God's truths. The same way as in biology, physics, physiology, astronomy, chemistry, business, every bit of truth is God's truth. And we have to understand that we have to always make Scripture the bedrock of our lives, our lifestyles, and how we live our lives. One of my professors of Old Testament, and his name is in every study Bible because he is one of the translators from Hebrew to English, and he would always say this. He says, when in doubt, give God the benefit. When in doubt, because what the popular culture, what the world has, is, has done is they've tried to pit science against Scripture. And they completely mesh together because all truth is God's truth. And we have to allow Scripture to be the bedrock of everything that we believe. Here in Genesis chapter 2, if you've closed your Bibles, open it back up, please. Genesis chapter 2, and one of the reasons I stress very hardly about this whole thing about when in doubt, give God the benefit, the foundation of Scripture, pop culture today, utterly and utterly embraces evolution. And there are many church traditions and denominations that even teach and preach that these stories that are found in Genesis are just that, stories. They're not true. And we have to ask the question, do we believe it or not? Genesis chapter 2. Did you guys know there's two accounts of the creation and they're very distinct and very unique? How do they mesh together? I'm not sure. To be honest, I really don't know. We're not going to compare them today. But we're going to look at chapter 2. And we're going to see this second explanation of creation. The creation of man and woman. Here in chapter 2, verse 15. And we've already read it. But we'll go through it again very quickly here. It says that the Lord God, He took the man and He placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free. You're what? Free. You're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day, you will eat from it, and you will certainly die. Think about that, just these few verses. God took the man and he put him in the garden. To do what with the garden? To work it. To work it, to have dominion over it. And he says, you are free. Now, unfortunately, when we think of free, especially in our culture today, we think that's free of any responsibility. I'm from America. I can do what I want. I mean, I hear that all the time. With great freedom comes great responsibility. And God places Adam in the garden to work it, to have dominion over it. And he tells him, you can eat anything except for the fruit from this tree. But then look what God says here in verse 18. 
And this is one of, one of my dearest mentors who discipled me for years. This was his life verse. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And he would say that and quote that because he was just radically in love with his wife. I'll make a helper. And then look what God does. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each, of the, each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. Why would God do that? I mean, God's omniscient. He knows everything. So why would he send Adam through this rigmarole of naming every single living thing? Why do you think God did that? I mean, God already knows that at the end of the day or month or however long it was, there, no helper would be found. Can you think and imagine how smart Adam must have been? I mean, God gave Adam the privilege and the authority and responsibility to name every living thing. Now, granted, he wasn't speaking English back then, I doubt. But could you imagine Adam sees a lion, lion, tiger, kitty cat, dog, German shepherd, zebra, hippopotamus, rhinoceros, Tyrannosaurus. I mean, he, think about how many species there are on the earth. Think of how smart and wise Adam was. I mean, have you guys ever thought about this story? Or is this just some fun little children's story, Bible story that we learn in Sunday school class in first grade and move on? Think about how smart and wise Adam was to name every little thing. And the creativity he had. And God gave him the authority to do it. Just think about that. How long did it take? Think of the work. I mean, I'd be exhausted after 20 minutes. Jesus, can you do the rest of it? But think of how much wisdom God had given man and how much authority he gave man to name every living thing. Ponder it for a while. God didn't have to do it. But why did he do it? I think for two things, I think well, there's several reasons, but two principal reasons. One, he's establishing God's given authority that he's given man and woman over all of his creation. He's sharing it with the one who he created in his image. The second thing is I think he was showing Adam there's going to be absolutely nothing on this earth that I've created that is going to satisfy you. And the third reason is I think he's setting it up to show Adam how precious and wonderful his wife will be. Because after going through all of that, what happens? What does it say? It says, the man in verse 20, at the end of verse 20, but for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. After all that work, no helper was found. Now, God knew all this was going to happen. And I think he's trying to set up and show Adam. He goes, I've got something so wonderful and special for you. you you're not even going to have a clue. And then he puts him to sleep, takes out a rib, creates woman. And I love this here in verse 22. 
at the end of verse 22, it says, he had taken from the man, he had taken a rib from the man, and he made a woman and brought her to the man. Now, I'm going to share a very bad pastor joke. You know why woman is called woman, don't you? Because when Adam saw her, he was like, whoa, man. Bad pastor preaching joke. But look at what Adam says. Look at what he says right here. He says this. This one at last. Finally, when he sees her. I was at a wedding just a couple weeks ago. And I thought the groom was going to jump out of his skin when he saw his bride come down the aisle. He was so excited. And one of the most best favorite things I love to do when I do weddings is watching the bride come down and watching the groom here. And I married my nephew three months ago. Today, three months ago. And as she's walking up with her dad and my nephew's standing here and he's the first of all the nephews and he's bawling. He's He's bawling. And guess what happens? The video guy gave me his cell phone. It was in my pocket, so all the recording go. His cell phone goes off. And I'm like, who, what idiot has got his phone going right now? And it's like, oh, that's in my pocket. It's buzzing. And it wasn't my phone. But it kind of broke the ice. But my nephew and now my niece-in-law, they were so excited. And after the wedding, I ran back. And I was like, let's do it again. I love weddings. And seeing the joy of these two coming together, and it reminds me of this passage here when, when Adam finally sees his wife. He sees Eve, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And then this is God's declaration here in verse 24 and 25. Look at what he says. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. And the word bonds is to like cling to, hold fast to. He bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, and yet they felt no shame. He leaves his mother and father, and he bonds with his wife, and they become a new family. That bonding clinging to. We were terrible as little kids. We had kitty cats as little kids, and we also had a pond. And cats can swim. And we'd take our cats and we'd throw them into the pond. And our hands would just be, I mean, just clawed because they were holding on so tightly because they didn't want to get wet. We weren't killing them. We would never have done that if they were drowning. But when we'd hold them out over the water, I mean, they're just clinging. And every time I read the word about bonding and clinging, just that holding on, embracing tight. When we used to live in Mexico, sometimes Christy and the kids would come up for like two-week vacation and I would stay down. And when they would fly back down, we could see them through the airport that they had come into. There was glass in between immigration. And I could see Sammy first, and then Sammy and Eric, and then Margie, Sammy, and Eric. And they would be so excited. And as soon as the doors would open up, they disobeyed the immigration officers, and they'd come running right through and just embrace their dad. And we'd have our moment there on the ground in the middle of everything. Just the embrace clinging, bonding together physically, emotionally, spiritually. Now, what does this have to do with sexuality? What does this story have to do with sexuality? A lot. Because when we look at Scripture, we see both Jesus and Paul referring to this very story when they teach about sexual relationships, when they talk about sexual immorality, when they talk about lust, when they talk about marriage, when they talk about divorce. 
We're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. Jesus is teaching and he's super famous and he's being confronted. He's being confronted by the Pharisees and they ask him about divorce. Matthew 19, 5. And Jesus goes right to this, right to this story. He goes right back to it. Matthew 19, 5. Look at what Jesus says when they ask him about divorce. And Jesus says, it says here, well, first in verse 4, it says, Haven't you read, he replied, that he created them in the beginning? He made them both male and female. That's what we looked at last week. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife. Sexual intercourse. They'll be joined with his wife and the two will become one. Why? Because they complement each other. The word for helper means one who's adequate with, who's fit for, one who's like, not a clone, someone who's very unique and distinct, and we saw that last week. Just as unique, just as precious, just as valuable, but different, and we need to celebrate our differences. But they become one flesh when they get married. So Jesus, when, when he's confronted about divorce, is it, are, are we allowed to get divorced? Are we not allowed to get divorced? And Jesus goes right to this passage. And he says, no, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. And then Jesus adds something that's really important in verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you can open your Bibles there. It'll be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at a handful of verses today. I promise I'm not going to cherry pick. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Corinthians church, they were unbelievably passionate for the Lord. They wanted to serve, but they were really messed up. There's all types of sexual immorality. They lived in a city that was just rampant with sexual immorality. Incredible amounts of temptations. Super sexualized. And there's a lot of sexual immorality actually in the church issues that were going on that were powerful. And so Paul confronts them and he teaches them, and there's a, one of the verses, and you guys know it, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then Paul goes on to teach, and he says here in verse 15, he says, don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that, you're, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own. We're not our what? We're not our own. It says in verse 20 that we've been bought by a price. Our bodies, everything that we are, our hearts, our minds, everything that we are has been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. 
And Paul is saying here, he's saying flee from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is any sexual act with anybody whom you're not married to. Boyfriend, girlfriend. Jesus even talks about it. He talks about Matthew. He says, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully in his heart, has committed adultery. God looks at our hearts. And as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, all other sins are sins outside the body. But sexual immorality is a sin against our own body. And I'm not going to go into all the statistics and stuff, but you guys have seen enough on the news to know that there's, I, can't, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of sexually transmitted diseases there are. And how many issues there are with sexual immorality, how it breaks up families and marriages and destroys lives. And I'm not going to sit here and just harp on it and harp on it and harp on it. But our culture now is so sexualized. I can't even watch a football game on TV without the commercials just being sexualized. And the jokes and the sitcoms and the amount of temptation that there is just even on people's phones with pornography and how casual sex is now and just relationships and one-night stands and weekend hookups and the amount of just justification that even within the church itself is, oh, we'll just live together. We'll try this life together. As we say in Spanish, ¿Qué tiene? what does it matter? It's just sex. And we've gotten to the point in our culture today where most people just view sex as just another act. Now, a lot of people do consider sexual relationship only with those whom I love or who I have a committed relationship with. But what does God say? Remember the Wesleyan quadrilateral? Only within the confines and the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. God created one Eve. He didn't create two of them, nor ten of them. He didn't create, create another man. He created a woman for the man, the man for the woman. And that's where our sexual relationship should remain, within a covenant marriage of one man and one woman. Paul then, and we'll jump to Ephesians 5.31. And again, I know we're jumping fast. Ephesians 5.31. This is one of the incredible passages about marriage, husband and wife. And yet Paul says it's an example of Christ and his church. And as Paul is teaching about the, how wives should submit to their husbands and how the husbands should love their wives the way Christ loves the church, there is this mutual submission back and forth, this considering the other one better than yourselves, loving and serving each other. And then here in verse 31, look at what Paul says. Well, verse 30, since we are members of his body, for this reason the man will what? Leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Again, Paul quotes this, so we see this in Paul and Jesus when they're dealing with lust, with sexual immorality, with marriage, with divorce. They're going back to Genesis chapter 2 where God created both male and female and he brings them together in the covenant of marriage. And this is our foundation. 
for both marriage and sexuality. And as Paul says, we've all been bought with a price, and it's the precious blood of Jesus. And we're commanded we should live holy, pure lives. We should flee sexual immorality. And we should elevate what God's desire is for marriage. What does this mean for us? What can we learn? The first is this. Marriage is God's idea. And it is His creation. And it exists to display the glory of God. Number two, God has created marriage to be between one man and one woman. The third one is man, the man and the woman complement each other in the marriage relationship. We're both unique and distinct. And we need to celebrate that diversity. Number three, sex was created by God and it's an incredible gift within the marriage covenant of a man and woman. Sex is God's idea. And it's his gift in marriage. We all were created for relationship and intimacy. And marriage is one of the greatest examples of relationship and intimacy. It's not the only one, and we'll look at that here in a minute. Any type of sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman is sin. And there are drastic consequences of sexual sin that destroys lives, marriages, families, and people. Andrew, could you come back up, please, real quick? I'm sure most of you all have seen this example before. We got Stevie's heart, Carolyn's heart, and Adam's heart. Could you peel these two pieces of paper apart, please? Whose was that? Carolyn. Adam. Sorry, Carolyn. Do the same. If we treat sex as flippantly as our culture does today, Scripture says, Adam, you'll be made whole, don't fret. Scripture says that we sin against our own body with sexual immorality. Even in the mind, even if it's just less than pornography. But as you can see, the bonding together of two pieces of paper with glue to try to separate them only destroys them. And that's what happens to our souls when we're sexually active with other people who we're not married to. Thank you, Andrew. And we have broken hearts and lives. Now, I will say this. There is unbelievable healing in Jesus. He can bring transformation and revival in my own personal life, I was sexually abused as a little child for almost 10 years, from age 3 to 13. And that sexual abuse that was done against me was not my sin, but for almost a decade I felt like I was guilty and had a part in it. And Satan used that sexual sin, not mine, but someone else's, to destroy my life. And even after becoming a Christian and being so angry and so confused about sex and sexual intimacy, 
I ran to pornography for years. And Satan used that just as a hammer of guilt. And the memories of the abuse and even temptations, they're still prevalent in my life. But it's only through the power of Jesus, through the power of the gospel, that there is transformation, there is healing. And even in my own sins of the past and even temptations today, going to Jesus, and this is true for all of us, God always gives a way out when we're tempted. There is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. And I know many of us here, we have horrible past, shameful past, and we're embarrassed and we just want to lock it up and wish it away. But we need to expose it to the light of Christ and confess it and allow him to bring healing and transformation and renewal of hearts and minds. Jesus, it says, the last day of the fiesta, of the festival, is right before he was crucified. It says it in John chapter 7. He stood up and he shouted, if anyone is hungry, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and I'll give him living waters. And I'll admit, I know for some of us, we're tired of always feeling like we're running to Jesus. But guys, we're called jars of clay. We're broken. And we need to run to Jesus every day and let him fill us up and renew us each and every day. And if we find ourselves trapped in sin, especially sexual sin, we need to repent of it. Some of us probably need counseling and we need healing prayer and we need help and we need other brothers and sisters to come around us. We need to guard our hearts. We need to expose it to the light and let the light and truth of Jesus bring unbelievable healing to our souls. I also want to encourage you in this, and this will be the last three scriptures we'll look at. I also want to encourage all of us to pray that God would give us Jonathans, and I call them Jonathans in our lives, friends of the same sex who we can really rely on and be encouraged by and encourage one another. I remember in high school I began to pray. God gave me a word Pray that I give you a Jonathan. And what I mean by that is this. When David was found by King Saul and brought him into his inner circle of military leadership, and in 1 Samuel, and Chris, if you could put those verses up, 1 Samuel, it says, When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan, who is Saul's son, was bound to David in close relate friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. And then a couple passages, chapters later in 1 Samuel, it says this in chapter 20. Jonathan once again swore to David in his love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, Jonathan's father desired to kill and murder David. And yet Jonathan, knowing that he would not be king of Israel, but David would be his king, these two young men became unbelievable friends. And then after Jonathan was killed in battle and David became king... And David's lament in 2 Samuel. This is what David says about Jonathan. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You are such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wondrous than the love of a woman. Now, revisionist theologians will say this, that they were homosexuals. That is not true. Scripture is very clear about our sexuality and our gender. But we can have deep, intimate relationships with people of the same sex, and there is absolutely zero sexual activity within those relationships. And I strongly believe that God wants to raise up amongst ourselves to have deep, close friendships with people of the same sex where we can be just, our friendships can be like this. There's nothing sexual about it. 
but it's having brothers and sisters who will stand with us. That's a fighter jet, isn't it? Who will stand with us and they'll love us for who we are and they'll call us to a life of integrity and holiness and purity. So if you, if, you're, if you do not have a Jonathan in your life, pray that God give you a dear friend who is like you but not like you, who can walk alongside you and spur you on and encourage you deeply. And then finally is this one. I know many of you who are single long to get married. And that is a heavy, heavy burden, and it's a heart cry of your soul. And I want to encourage you continually, daily, pour your heart out to our Heavenly Father. Allowing Him to guide you and lead you and encourage you. The only one who can feel that deep, deep, intimate desire is the Lord Jesus Himself. And I know you know that. I know you've heard that for years. But don't allow the evil one to lie to you and to deceive you and to convince you to go a different path because you, because you long to be married. Trust in him. Wait on him. It is worth it. And allow him to be your strength and your comforter, your encourager, and your dearest friend. I invite everybody to please stand. If the Lord has been speaking with you today, members of our prayer team will be over here to your right at the next steps. We would love to pray with you. If there's things you need to confess or repent of, we will we'll pray with you. But don't allow what God is doing in your hearts today just to roll off. Let's spend time with him and let's respond by saying yes to our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible day. And Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we thank you because there is no one like you. And we ask now, Jesus, to have your way amongst us. Bring conviction to those who need it. Bring healing to those who've been abused. Bring your forgiveness to those of us who've been walking in sin. And Jesus, may you be our wellspring. May you be our life. May you be the one who gives us living water. And may we honor you in every relationship that we have. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen.